You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact... You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. This is a podcast from comedianscomedian.com. This is the Comedian's Comedian Podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith. And if you haven't subscribed to this show on iTunes or wherever you get your uh, podcasts, uh, you can always hit subscribe so this show appears magically, automatically in your uh, in your podcast folder. And um, please do so because during the month of December, I'm going to give you a very special treat, but I'm only going to pop it on the RSS feed. I don't want to blind you with science, but there's a thing called an RSS feed. I don't know what it is. I'm going to put a special treat on there for podcast listeners, and then I'm going to take it away again. So make sure you're subscribed if you'd like a little Christmas present from me, something that has genuine cash value. Make sure you're subscribed to this show, and uh, throughout the whole month of December, at one point, I'll be dropping for a week or so uh, a little treat. So make sure you are subscribed. Now, a tiny giant of UK comedy. I've been after this man for a long time, and uh, I I mean, he's, he's not the first person to appear on this show who had to be convinced but i think he's the first person on the show who declined and then was told off and then agreed it's andy askins to begin on a slightly uh, interesting tone when you agreed to do the show it was very sweet you sent me i invited you via facebook and you said uh, you very very politely bowed out and said actually i'm i'm not very comfortable talking about myself and then 20 minutes later you messaged me back and said all right i've been told off i'll do it tell me about that Oh, I don't wear the trousers. That's a simple fact in my house. And I was talking to my beautiful wife, Julie, who may not may not listen to this. Um, yeah, I told her about the podcast and how it is uh, really well received and very popular. And um, yeah, I was on it. I just don't think people would like to listen to me for droning on in my monotone voice and yeah i don't find myself particularly i hate talking about myself that's what it is and and my wife said don't be so stupid you're a grown man do the podcast so i love it i think you're the first guest i've had who's doing the show under duress (laughs) (laughs) i'm gonna start employing your wife to bully other comics into coming on the show she she'd do a grand job (laughs) it's there's something really interesting about the there's loads of stuff to talk about with with your act and and what makes you so unique um one of the things that i love and i think your audiences love is you have such gentleness you play such a low status person on stage and i wanted to begin with um i don't know if you still use this as an opening line but the charisma 
line. Could you just, I don't want you to butcher it, I know this isn't a gig, yeah. but can you just tell us what the line is, because it's one of my favourite opening lines well, ever. Yeah, it's just, uh, hi, my name is Andy Askins, you've probably already gathered I have absolutely no charisma. <laughs> when did you start using that line? Where, how did that come about? Um, I, I know how I look on stage. I know I look terrible, and I got so fed up with people being aghast when I walked out with disappointment. <laughs> It really, it was, it was, I was, I was quite numb sometimes inside. It was like, the, the, yeah, and you would hear them going, oh my God, oh, the poor fella. <laughs> and yeah, it was quite distracting for the rest of the audience. So I, I just decided to, to make more of it. Uh, and and I, I do look like, I, I am the, the grey man, I think it's called in certain circles. You know, I could be stood behind you and you would never notice me. You would never know as a comedian anywhere. Nobody ever guesses. Everybody's shocked. People think I'm lying when I say they're comedy. So yeah, I'm just playing on that, really. It's it's a very unusual quality. I sort of, I don't, I don't know that I entirely agree with you that you're a grey man. I think you've, uh, I mean, I think it would be quite offensive if I went, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely, yeah, yeah. You certainly, I can, I can believe that people don't believe that you're a comic. There's, there's yeah. definitely a quality you have yeah, where you like... Absolutely. I'm really interested in why that isn't a more common trait, because who says anyone knows what a comic looks like? Yeah, you are, right? I, I think it's probably because I'm quite an introverted person and I'm not uh, flamboyant. I'm, I'm so dry in my comments. You know, a lot of people miss uh, my comments or jokes just because they're just so dry. Yeah. Really. Um, I've noticed that. Like, in, in your act, there are lines where... There's lines which are very, uh, like, overtly comic lines. Mm -hmm. And then there are kind of tags which some people, some audiences, you... you And I've seen... Absolutely, I've seen ones where everyone's, you know, getting yeah. everything. But there are some times when something is... You sort of, it's not quite blink and you miss it, but people just don't notice that it's a joke. And the comics are killing themselves because it's so subtle. I think uh, comics are, are infinitely more attuned to lines, aren't they? They they, uh, they hear everything, they see beforehand what's coming the majority of the time. And audiences, I think they are used to uh, punchlines being delivered in a punchline way uh, and exaggerated, whereas quite often... Possibly just because of my accent, um, there's no really ups or downs in when I talk. It's just talking. And there it is and hope you find it. It's not just the accent. It's to do with the subtlety. Like the subtlety is what the people who do laugh at those lines yeah. are enjoying. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, again, I can't explain it. I, I, wish, um, I wish I knew how it all worked. I'm just... Yeah, and I, I say stuff and people laugh, hopefully. I'm, I'm, I wish I could be more uh, helpful. That's all right. No, no, no. <laughs> I told you, this is... Uh... No, 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 don't, don't panic at all. This is my, my, don't, you don't need to worry at all. My job is to get the stuff out of you. So let's take it as a blanket apology. Andy doesn't want to be here and doesn't think he has anything interesting to say. Uh, you know, let, uh, let's just assume that you think okay. that's fine. You don't, need to, you don't need to keep saying that. Well, God bless you, Stuart. <laughs> um, so can you think of a particular tag or line of yours that is iffy as to whether or not they'll notice it just so that we can talk about in, in a bit more more detail um, about the specific one that yeah there's a there's a gag that uh gets lost quite a lot and it's just a simple gag and it's the, the one i do about i have uh three actually no i have two beautiful children and that gets lost uh, an awful lot of time and, uh, and I think I'm, I'm hammering out, out with a sledgehammer really that's how it feels in my head um, but people miss it and it's just yeah it gets nothing sometimes but, and, and other times yeah people uh, it just brings the house down yeah, because people yeah. people get it here's, here's another aspect of your uh, position you take in relation to us on stage you get away with 
some really mean jokes or I don't know yes. if, yeah they're kind of mean yeah, is yeah, the right yeah. word I mean they're jokes yeah. obviously yes. but because they're being delivered by someone so apparently defenceless yeah uh, I, I'm not my humour it is uh, it's shocking really and it's uh, it's it's the things I talk about behaving in a way that I'm the polar opposite to I just switch things around and I'm saying things that if I heard somebody saying for real I'd be completely a um, and it makes me laugh and I say them and people laugh and that's it and uh, yeah can you give us an example of like the worst no. thing that you'd say no not, not really <laughs> or does it feel I'm like you'd embarrassed. be embarrassed to say it yeah, now yeah. out of a performative yeah, context I feel as though on stage I'm sort of a character I'm a character part of it is me and part of it is this person who I abhor and part of it is a person who I'd secretly like to be uh, yeah that's interesting yeah. why is that I mean, I'd really like to look at that idea of it part of it is someone that you'd really like to be what because that person is confident and extroverted yeah or, and, or what what qualities yeah, are and, and um, it, it, some of the things I say it's it, I'm talking about myself in sort of like a third person which feels really, really uncomfortable but some of the things I say on stage uh, if I heard a blokey bloke talking about that in the pub I'd think oh he's pretty cool don't like him but it sounds cool, you know, all, all the, the macho stuff. Um, Go on. Yeah, so th- that aspect, sometimes I think, oh, I, w- I wish I was a bit more uh, Crocodile Dundee, and <laughs> but I'm not bothered. <laughs> Be quite happy licking envelopes. <laughs> Carefully. So, <laughs> so let's talk about your, your discovery of comedy. How did you first come across comedy? Um, well, I, from a little lad, I, I suppose my, uh, my, my first exposure to his, or proper exposure was, uh, movies, uh, and, and then later on, Billy Connolly, he was very popular when I was a, a, a kid, and I saw him, and I was amazed when I watched his movie, Big Banana Feet on the cinema, and, um, yeah, I've always enjoyed laughing and make, making people laugh. Okay. Um, but it was never on the horizon, me becoming a comedian, not. At all. What was on the horizon? Do you remember what you anticipated from your future? I'm a drifter. I've never particularly had any goals just to be happy. Yeah, that, that's all my life. I haven't thought I want to be a doctor. I want to be this, that, or the other. I've just wanted to be happy. So I've drifted from job to job and jumped on things that I thought might be good or interesting and, and enjoy. And uh, it's continued. There have been times in my life where I've done some god awful jobs really awful jobs uh but let's get me out of that situation and do something enjoy that's always been my sort of like um, philosophy were you a funny kid did you make your friends laugh at school yeah yeah i'm i'm i don't want to sound pretentious but no i i really enjoy making people laugh now especially in a small uh, social kind of way it's my family that's what i live and die for making them laugh from the getting up in the morning to going to bed at night. And what what's the kind of what what are the differences between the humour that you have with your family and the humour that you do on stage? Um, I'm much more extrovert in my little bubble. Are uh, you? Yes. Uh, if I can embarrass my kids, I'll quite happily pirouette right the way across uh, <laughs> a petrol force station in front of everybody just to see them all crouch down in the car. <laughs> yeah, that really makes me happy. 
that's that's very interesting that you that without the the intention being to make your family laugh, you would never dream of pirouetting oh, never. across a, a forecourt. So what's what's different in the way? Presumably, your introversion. It's almost like the making people laugh is a sort of a gateway out of your introversion. Is yeah. that fair to say? It, it might be fair to say. It's something I've never even thought of. Um, it, I, I, I just feel very comfortable uh, in small situations making people... It's, it's changed now because I'm a comedian and, and when people uh, introduce me as a comedian, uh, there are certain expectations which immediately puts me on my back foot a little bit. Yeah, right. And I, I don't want to sort of like um, underwhelm people. Uh, so I just keep me gob shut. But people I know, yeah, I love making people laugh. It's the best feeling in the world. I'm just interested in this, this idea of you, just that, that very funny image of you pirouetting across a forecourt. Just as a thought experiment, if you were, like, could you do that to make your children laugh if they weren't there, if they were, say, watching on a video camera? Would yes, you, you could do that. I if would they were do watching. that. Yeah, to make them laugh, I would do that. Yes. Okay, so even if they weren't there, you'd do it. Yeah. If it was to make them laugh, and if someone told you afterwards, oh, the video camera didn't work, I'd be horrified. You'd be horrified. That's so interesting. <laughs> Don't you think that you're that the 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 fact of that intention totally changes mm. the scenario? But from the point of view of some bloke who doesn't know you looking at you. Yeah. It's the same, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. He, he doesn't know. <laughs> yeah, and I am weird. Yeah, I am very strange. So, so we, we, you slightly, you've, I felt that you slightly shied away from that question about making your your friends laugh. Is that? And the sense I got was that you didn't want to go. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm a, I'm a, I was a funny kid. Um, yeah, I, was, I suppose I was quite funny when I was a kid. I, I, I remember making everybody. I was a class clown. I remember on my school reports been useless at everything and, and one report said he would, he would be a fantastic comedian or so i was only very small uh and i got lots of that through my, my life it was just a class clown really a lot of people i think who are a class clown kind of character do it because it makes them safe or it gives them status or you know or maybe just because it makes them happy do you can you remember what was kind of underpinning it oh this what is like you, psychotherapy really isn't you it you are on a leather couch is that um, <laughs> yeah I, I just wish i wasn't laid down um, <laughs> i'm trying to think back and yeah it was was it for attention i'm not sure i i just uh, I, perhaps i just wanted to be liked no idea. I, I just remember being, yeah, people laughing all the time, and and the teachers as well. Really, I, I never was never like a, a facetious kind of a joker. It was always light-hearted stuff and self-deprecating. I remember I was a, I was the world's best loser, if I remember rightly. That's fascinating because yeah, that's not something kids do a lot of. Yeah, I, I was mm. fantastic at losing and and coming second by a, a hair's breadth, and then hugging the person that beat me i was shocking (laughs) (laughs) that's really interesting i don't know that i've heard another person talk about being a funny loser as a kid because that's such a comic archetype isn't it you Mm. think of like buster keaton and charlie chaplin and stuff it's about stuff going badly for you yeah well well perhaps i don't know why uh i must admit things like sport that was a big part of my life and i remember um, taking things a bit more seriously and then wanting to win and not an enjoy and not enjoying it as much. Yeah, um, I was winning all the time, but I just it didn't wasn't the same. Didn't enjoy it. Yeah. And did you do any kind of performance at school? Anything like that? 
Um, yeah, I did one or two little bits. It, it was normally uh, teachers would twist my arm up my back or I'd be threatened uh, if I didn't perform. So I must have had something in that kind of... I played the guitar when I was a, a, a kid and I was uh, not prodigious, but I was very good at an early age. I played lots of complicated classical guitar and ragtime and things and um, used to perform in like a little performing monkey it was it was all good i loved it yeah but i was much happier performing it in my bedroom why would they need to twist your arm to get you to do it if you were if you were good and you enjoyed making people happy probably the same reason i was a bit wary about doing this podcast i've always been the same you know i, I don't really like standing up in front of, it is a bit weird isn't it standing up in front of people and being judged that's what you're essentially being done aren't you on, on, on what you do on that stage or in front of those people and um, I would much rather sit at the back. I wouldn't even like to sit at the front of the audience, sit at the back and watch somebody and cheer them along, really. Do you remember the first comedy gig that you went to, first live comedy? Yeah. Do you know, I hardly remember it. Um, it was in it was the comedy store, actually, when it was uh, in the old venue, and me and Julie were just walking through London, and I sort of went, oh, that's the, the comedy store's... Really famous, let's go in. And we went down these stairs and it was little uh, school chairs. And to be honest, all I remember really is um, the first guy had a guitar and he was really having a tough time. He was getting heckled and and that's all I remember. And then the second time I watched a, uh, a gig was somewhere around the Croydon area. And my friend said, oh, you've got to come to this comedy club. It's fantastic. And he was describing Harry Hill, who was a regular there. Yeah. And I went down this one night and it was uh, it was really funny and it was good. Harry Hill wasn't on that night. But uh, I just thought, oh, that's great. But I never thought I'd ever get up on the stage, ever. And that was years before I even thought about comedy. So what, what changed then? What was it that made you get up? your first ever gig well to be honest again it was an accident and this thing about drifting from job to job and and just trying things and i've always been a bit of a lunatic really if i've seen something i'd quite like to do i would go for it no matter how ridiculous what kind of things are you talking about one of my favorites was i i, I managed to blag my way as a um a professional diver um, <laughs> yeah so the idea was, was gonna train to be a uh uh, a deep sea diver, mixed gas diver, and uh, I couldn't swim, which was a bad start. But I was working in a place in. I've just got to check in. This is true. You're not putting me. Yeah, out. this is true, and th- this is typical me, really. And um, I was working um, in a bar in Dubai, and all these divers were coming in on Hollywood wages. And I went, I'd love to do that, but I can't swim. And they said, if you really want to do it, we'll teach you. And uh, they taught me to scuba in a swimming pool, and then I went and had an interview with uh, a, a, an American guy at a big American company called Oceaneering in Dubai. I had a forged log book uh, that said I was a, a scuba instructor in the UK for several years. This is the most dangerous. I think this is like, uh, yeah. <laughs> this is the most dangerous thing anyone's ever described doing. And never, then, to the yeah. listener, never forge your log book and pretend to be a diver. It's absolutely stupid. And the guys were lovely. And I turned up on day one and it was... Uh, what we had to do, I had to look the part. Uh, the the site boss said, you know, the, you, he'll have his eyes on you. 
the, the the big boss. So just look confident. And I had to, there was two on the side and one in the water and we were replacing boats in the dry dock gates. So one side would be dry uh, and have scaffolding and the other side was the seaside. And the diver would get in seaside and uh, he would hammer out the bolts of the, or drill out the bolts of the dry dock gates. And then on the other side, uh, there'd be a guy waiting for a bolt to peer through and it just put a nut on the end. It was re- really weird. Okay. So I was waiting for my turn to uh, to go in in this like Kirby tent, it was called, uh, the, the headset. And I was, he told me I had to jump in. I'm scared of heights as well. And it was about a 20 foot drop into the water. Oh. So he said, you've got, I thought he was kidding at first. I thought he knew I was scared of heights and uh, he wasn't. He said, oh, I said, you, you are kidding. He went, no. And he said that you've got to just you jump in. And uh, it seemed like an age and I jumped in <laughs> and it felt like free fall, to be honest. And then the water was all dark and black and it was pretty scary. Down there. I forgot my gloves, so my hands got ripped to bits. And uh, yeah, so that was my, I, I, di- I didn't do it in the end. I, I came back home with the intentions of going back and seeing it through. And I met a guy that I'd known for years who was a professional diver and I taught him to play the guitar. And I told him about this opportunity and he was thrilled to bits for me and I asked him how his guitar playing was going as I got sorted and uh, he lifted his hands up and he'd lost um, both thumbs and a finger uh, about 18 months before in a diving accident and I just thought that's probably a sign you've probably had a lucky escape there I can't yeah. imagine there are I mean I, I hate to think there are people out there who are, who've blagged their way into a dive I mean it's so dangerous even if you know yeah, what you're doing foolhardy isn't it yeah I'm a fool but I'm not an idiot 
uh, information about the tour and uh, all, all sorts of stuff on that. Uh, immediately, people, well, <laughs> the first thing that happened was someone commented on the Facebook page. No, someone, I think someone replied to me, uh, replied to the mail out saying, um, oh my God, not another one. God, you're bombarding me. I'm getting out of here, which was a fine example of the calibre of listener I attract being deeply sarcastic. Um, and the second thing that happened was that uh, people on the Facebook ComCom group started going, uh, hey, what's this mail out? What's this mail out all about? Do I not mention it enough? This is this is the mail out list that you're on if you uh, get if you subscribe to it to get extra material uh, from the podcast, special uh, bits and bobs. I'm also going to start making older episodes available uh, exclusively to the mailing list. So uh, those are gradually coming off iTunes, uh, older episodes, and uh, I'm gonna I'm saying this now. I haven't got around to it yet but i'm planning to so make sure you're on the mail out if you want to find out uh, all sorts of uh, information about the oncoming tour and uh, that's a very doctor who way of describing what i'm up to next um and uh, make sure you're on that but also as i said at the very top of the show make sure that you're subscribed to this podcast which is a different thing to being a mailing list subscriber so there's two ways you can do both of those things the first you go to comedianscomedian.com and you scroll to very near the bottom of the page put in your details and join the mailing list i will then do probably Probably, if I get another hundred people or so do that over the next month, I'll just resend the one that I've sent out. So if, you, if you're feeling left out, join the mailing list now. You can get, uh, I'll resend it at the end of the year. Not to everyone else, don't panic. <laughs> I don't want to interrupt the five to 13 month schedule. And if you want to subscribe to the show, then make sure that you click subscribe on iTunes or wherever else, whatever else program you're using to uh, get your podcasts. Because there's a little treat coming your way during December. Um, I'm really looking forward to that little crazy idea i've had make sure you are subscribed thank you to everyone that was there on the hong kong singapore tokyo fukuoka and osaka tour the southeast asian tour it was genuinely incredible i'm going to say an incredibly quick thank you to nick in hong kong and also Stu and all the other podcast fans that turned up to scott mitchell and jackie ung who i gigged with in singapore scott runs a wonderful gig out there and jackie ung was just sensational he's the only person i know who's ever uh, told a knock knock joke in cat on stage uh, thanks to everyone in the Tokyo stand-up community. Thanks to Paul for your wonderful venue, uh, Ben for helping uh, organise the show, uh, Vinay, Aziz, Peter, all of the people, Anna, all the people out there who are doing stand-up um, to an excellent degree. Uh, for Corker, Stephen and Dwin, pod fans that turned up to the show with lovely Shoko that helped show us around. Uh, Asaka, Eddie and Tom for their fabulous gig at uh, ROR Comedy and Mr. Ben and Michael Schaefer um, and Momo, a fabulous talent coming out of Asaka and Ollie Horn for making the whole thing possible. Thank Thank you, Ollie. Uh, I've got a lot of respect for clowns, as you know. Every place I went, I could not believe this. Every place I went, I had at least five or six podcast fans show up. And I cannot tell you what it felt like. Sometimes more than that. But I can't tell you how it felt to be in Osaka, which isn't the most famous place in Japan. Pretty great city. The castle's amazing. Um... And uh, but to be standing outside the gig and have a, an apparent stranger walk up to me and go, "Oh my God, it's Richard Herring!" <laughs> like deliberately as a joke. <laughs> Which every time I've relayed that to someone, they're gone. He thought you're Richard Herring. I'm like, no. It was the caliber of sarcastic fan that I have saying, "Oh my God, it's Richard Herring." Uh, that was Noel. Thank you, Noel, for coming along to the show. Um, I genuinely felt cherished by the comedians, comedian podcast community, uh, the Comcom Podcom. Let's not start calling anyone that. That was a joke. <laughs> but honestly, to be somewhere on the other side of the world, jet-lagged, run-ragged, work like a dog, like a dog, Ollie, 
um, and to turn up at the gigs and uh, and know that there were people there getting the in jokes, coming up to me afterwards, putting strange and wonderful currency in my hand, and saying cool things. I cannot tell you how that felt. I was so so grateful. So thank you everyone for being part of that. Um, and talking of uh, coming out and seeing me live, hey, hey, what a link. Um, there's a lot of live stuff coming up, so get on that mail out if you can. Join the, the Comedians Comedian Facebook group and you can keep abreast with all of this, not to mention suggesting questions for such diverse things as uh, the first of the new season of uh, live Soho podcasts is now announced. It's, uh, as you know, I did John Robbins earlier this year. I'm doing Ellis James in but a few weeks. And on the 23rd of January at the Soho, theatre in london i am doing john and ellis live uh, so john robbins and ellis james have their own wonderful podcast uh, which they podcast of their there's not enough words for podcast it's like they have a podcast which is itself them podcasting their radio x show so i'm sorry for using the word podcast often but that's what it is it's not enough vocabulary available um, so you can find their show and get stuck into it and become a wanna and uh, get, <laughs> get drawn into a, a deeply complex world of uh, of keeping it session and being on email uh, and all the other catchphrases that come with the show. Um, if you're a fan of that already, as I'm sure many of you are, come and see them uh, as they both submit to the joint ComCom experience together on 23rd of January at 7, I think 7.30 at the Soho Theatre. So go to SohoTheatre.com to find out about that. The link this year for all of your tour tickets as well is the word Vera. So you remember we used to have a FAF code. The code this time is Vera, V-E-R-A, um, for reasons that will be obvious if you're familiar with my oeuvre so um i'm fairly sure that will work on the soho site as well so that uh, i'll in fact i'll make a mental note now to ensure that that works uh because i believe those tickets have gone up for sale so the code is vera at sohotheatre.com and the code is vera on almost all of the ticket sites uh for my oncoming tour the oncoming tour i'm sticking with that um that's either cool if you know your geeky stuff or meaningless if you don't comedianscomedian.com forward slash tour for all your information i think one of the venues that isn't doing a Vera code. Someone emailed me and said, oh, there's no code on Leicester. That's because Leicester is already pay what you want. I'm doing it with Bob Slayer's Heroes of Fringe at Dave's Leicester Comedy Festival. Bob and Dave and Stu involved. Um, but uh, that's already pay what you want. So I'm not offering a discount on a pay what you want ticket. Many apologies. Very rude of me. So uh, comedianscomedian.com forward slash tour for all of the information that you need about the oncoming tour and almost all of those venues there is some method on the venue to get either a discount ticket or there's a limited number of discount tickets but in all circumstances the code is vera v-e-r-a an email from who did i get this from oh this was a donor simon atkinson who said what better reminder to donate than to see Stu's storming set in singapore's most glamorous upstairs room at a pub i mean i'm retreading ground here i should have said that earlier on when i was talking about the uh, the singapore dates but i mean it was great man it was great people came out I was great. The shows were great. Everything was great. Um, what's, that, what's that line from Team America? Everything is Bon. Um, what what an opportunity. And, uh, and I'm really pleased now that I know what the equation is. And I'll tell you about the equation in the waffle at the end. Now that we know what the equation is, it's just so good to just do the equation. Um, and uh, you don't need to have seen me. If you fancy donating, why not take a leaf out of Ed's book, a donor called Ed, who recently said, Good day, Stu. Your show has been a real... Good day. That's a very Dickensian way of greeting me. Good day to you, Ed. Your show has been a real motivator for me to get on stage. That's always nice to hear. He says, and I, I, this is beautifully put, he says, I've done three open mics. Two of them I killed and the third I got murdered. Ed, welcome to the force, son. <laughs> um, 
Thank you. If you're someone who is finding the show motivating, if you're uh, enjoying the content, if you're getting something out of the interviews, then you can, of course, donate. Why not go to comedianscomedian.com forward slash donate? You can sign up for a recurring monthly amount of, for example, £2, or a one-off donation of, for example, 20 quid, or whatever you think the show is worth to you. And remember, if you can't donate at all, that's absolutely fine. The people who can pay for the people who can't. So... That is everything I need to tell you at this stage. I mean, just between you and me, Redacted is happening on the 15th of December at the experimental late show time of 10.30pm at the Bill Murray, which is the new name of the new Angel Comedy Club. Uh, You can find out all about that um, by going to the Comedians Comedian Facebook group or my own Facebook fan page, Stuart Goldsmith Comedy, or just going to the Bill Murray pub at 10.30pm. Redacted, three guests, no recording, top secret, no other advertising, Come along and see that. Should be fun. So now, back to Andy Askins. So we've established you're the sort of person who's up for doing crazy shit, basically. Yeah, and why I did comedy, was that the question? Why yeah. I got into comedy? Well, yeah, so um, I worked with my wife for years and years, and then I started playing uh, solo uh, music in uh, pubs and things which I really really enjoyed and I was looking for something more I had uh, three children to look after and a mortgage and a wife so I was uh, looking for something in addition so I I did th- there were three things I had going at the same time photography hairdressing and comedy and I was going at all three and okay. uh, the comedy worked better and, and, did, that, and did that come out of talking in between playing music uh, music gigs, or was it a completely separate thing? Um, it was something I, I had uh, thought about doing. Uh, I was quite good with hecklers, and, and when I was in Dubai, it was a very heckler-heavy uh, environment. And uh, years later, I was watching the TV, and it was the BBC New Comedy Awards, and it said, do you think you could do this? Write 10 minutes and send it in. And I thought, well, why not have a go? So I went down to the local comedy club, wrote a 10-minute set, and it went really well. And uh, I remember Julie in the car on the way pleading with me not to do it. She was going, please, please, you'll embarrass yourself. It'll be awful. And uh, I got on stage with my little knees wobbling and people loved it from the outset. And I think if it had had gone badly, I probably wouldn't have done it again. Yeah. Uh, But it went really well. Yeah. So you wrote 10 minutes from scratch, from nothing. You just wrote 10 minutes. Yeah. Do, Do you remember what it was about? Do you remember any of that material? You'll see ten of it tonight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I can't remember. Um, I, I, some of it was about um, James Bond and villains and stuff, and uh, I don't think there was a lot about uh, Julian and my wife. I remember I was on with Mitch Ben. I think that might have been the first time, and he had his guitar, and uh, I told him I played guitar and played a bit for him, and he said. Um, you really should be using it's a skill you should be using rather than and uh, oh so that first gig you didn't have the guitar no, okay, no, I, don't, no. I just envisaged you with it of course right no no not for the first few gigs and then, uh, then i thought well maybe i could write something or perform something and uh and it's something i've always had around my neck a guitar and i do feel very comfortable wearing it it's my little shield yeah and, okay uh, yeah and, and that was it really that, that was it I, I i it went it went well for a lot of little open spots and it just it took me a long time it probably took me about 
five and a half years from my open spot to going full time. Um, but it was very difficult uh, finding anywhere that would let me play. And it cost me about £150 a time as well to, to go and do an open spot. So, uh, what, so In terms well, of travel? Yeah, I'd have to cancel a gig. Uh, oh, I see what you mean. Music, a paid yeah, gig elsewhere. And then yeah. I'd have to get the ferry across and drive it. So was it because you're Isle of Wight? Yeah, so yeah. it'd be hundred fifty, hundred and sixty quid, you know, to to go somewhere and try out ten minutes. So it was, Jesus. yeah, it was expensive. Yeah. Did you consider moving, or was that just not on the cards? I never thought about it because um, Julie and my children were so happy and it, it was ideal where we were living for schools, for everything, uh, the environment, the beach. It's just wonderful. Um, uh, and funny enough, we are moving now. Yeah. Oh, are you? Where are you moving? Probably the Reading area. Okay. Yeah. My uh, my wife's sort of like uh, turf. And uh, yeah, the kids are older now, so there's not a lot on the island for, for kids okay. once they leave school really. Sure, sure. Yeah. So in terms of that, going back to that, that 10 minutes that you wrote or, or writing in general, yeah. do you, are you a sit down and write person? Are you a make it up on stage and then gradually it turns into material? What's, a, your, what's your approach? Yeah, a bit of everything. A, a lot of uh, my little jokes will just come out of conversations and I won't even recognise them. I won't even. In fact, I do. I do a gag. I've been doing it for a long time, and um, I had a, a rubber band on. It was um, it was a band that my daughter gave me from the swimming baths. Uh, she'd got it and forgot to hand it back. A little yellow rubber band, and on the back she'd wrote "Number One Dad," and she gave it to me. And I was with Greg Davis in the dressing room, and. Um, I showed him, he went, oh, that's lovely, uh, number one, Dad. I went, yes, I wrote that. And he <laughs> really laughed. <laughs> and he said, you should put that in your set. And I did, and it's, it's been in ever since. <laughs> so which bits of material of yours do you regard as, like, which are you most proud of? Is there a particular line or a particular section? Um, no, I... I'm uh, I, the Ku Klux Klan gag is is <sighs> a, 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 I'm proud of that, That's and not really great. because I think it's particularly this that or the other. It's just so many people have, have said they really like the joke. Do you, uh, I remember I remember trying it out that gag. I was in Afghanistan, funny enough, um, with a group of comics, and I just said, "Do you think this is funny?" And I think four of them says, uh, "Nah," and Jim Jeffries went, "That is gold," and I. Tried it out. I, I know the line, but do you mind butchering it just for just to tell us the line? Yeah, I'll, I'll certainly butcher it. And it's, um, I don't think I'm racist, but the Ku Klux Klan, they all look the same to me. And <laughs> I'm sorry, that, that is a joke that I use to describe you to people. Oh, okay. Like, oh, you know, and you know, in the way that you'll go, oh, he's lovely, he's got this lovely. So, you know, if you describe another comic, you go, here's an example of one of his jokes. Yeah. Like that. It's, I mean, it's just a golden joke. Uh, but, but again, that's a joke I probably wouldn't have done, um, given that for comics i really liked said it wasn't very good it's only jim really just went oh that's great i tell you what i love about that joke it's the performance of it as or more than the content yeah. because i i feel like i can or certainly like over the years of telling other people about it i've done it in like my version of your yeah. accent and your per persona and i think the way it reads in my head is that punchline goes the ku klux klan 
They all look the same to us. <laughs> and it's the, fa- it's the fact that you're so small and vulnerable and it's like you're genuinely trying not to offend the Ku Klux Klan. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like you're so... What's funny about it to me is you're, you're so nice. Oh, bless you. And it, it's, it, that's, I think that position is fascinating. So there, a listener asked a question that I wanted to uh, uh, pass on to you. A listener called... Um, oh, oh, it's Ben. It's Ben, a comedian Ben Vanderveld, who you might oh, know. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, uh, ben said, how do you manage to control rowdy audiences with such gentleness? Because that's something you're really known for, is you can win with such softness and, and quietness. I wasn't really aware of that. Um, I, um, I just think if... An audience thinks you're funny. They might, they might, um, they might pay attention. And I just, tr- I just hope they'll give me one or two minutes to let me say a few gags, and hopefully they will like the gags, and then they'll listen some more. Um, and that's it, really. I, I, there's n- nothing other than that. It's uh, and regarding when it gets rowdy, it's a bit difficult for me. I, I can certainly handle it, and I have done on several occasions, but in order to do that, you have to come up with something like the persona, um, the uh, low status, because putting people down is is quite high status, really, so it's uh, it ruins the illusion, really. Um, and it's, it, I don't like dealing with... I don't like being... Not nasty to people, but I don't like putting people down particularly... Yeah. So, do you have a go-to approach that works that works for you in terms of like a line you'll say? To deal I with have got some lines, and they're I found they're far more powerful than I want. It's like using a hand grenade <laughs> when a fly spray would do. And yeah. so, I really try not to to use any lines I prepared, and I, I've prepared hundreds of them over the years. And fortunately, I very rarely had to do. Any put I think I, I've got maybe four original kind of put downs, and yeah. two of them I'm so pleased. Like they've saved my life so many times. Okay. They've turned a gig from being an absolutely fine gig. Yes. Someone attacks. If you get one of those out, woof! Suddenly everyone is just right back in into it. But the, the, the issue I find is that, and I, I mean, I, I say that yes. number is like a pathetically low number. Yeah. I kind of I normally try and get past on. I, I normally yes. get by on charisma. If someone yeah. attacks, I try yeah. and you know try and explore it and give them enough rope to hang themselves, sort of thing. Yes, more than I kind of shoot back a killer line. That's a clever way, and and I love watching that. I do, I do. Uh, love the art of dealing with audience members in a nice way, in a gentle way, in a funny way. And there's a lot of people do it so well and yeah. uh, in, in, in a disarming way. Uh, but each to their own. And, and some audiences love nothing more than seeing, especially if it's an idiot in the audience, being torn to shreds. Yeah. I mean, that's a real gig, uh, a winner, that, isn't it? But uh, me personally, I'm very lucky, and most of the time I'm left alone. And if I'm not left alone, um, I, I try and come up with something particular for that person and it's normally something quite gentle and I get on with my stuff. There is the gentleness, I think, is definitely part of it. I, so I An oft-quoted line on this show, something I, I, I mention all the time, is that lovely... You said Harry Hill before, his line about, you can his heckler line of going, you can say what you like about me, sir, but I know when I get home, I've got a lovely chicken in the oven. Because it's, <laughs> it's so perfect for him, because yes. it's, it allows him to be disarming, because it yes. would be quite out of character for him to slam someone. Yes. In a similar way that I think it would be for you. Yeah. Do you have like a similar, or, a, um, you know, is there, is, is there something, something similar in that kind of angle of approach for you? Um, yeah. A- again, that's just, that's just a thing of a, 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 some kind of gentle re- taught or a mark um 
Yeah, Harry Hill is yeah, he's a wonderful exponent, isn't he, uh, of the art of comedy. Sounds sounds like a military uh, combat, doesn't it? Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I just I crack on with it. It's it's not something I really have a lot of lot of problems with. Yeah. So when you when you said you kind of prepared various lines over the years, you sort of sat down writing them. Are you sitting yeah. writing on a notebook or in a yeah, laptop? Um, What's your well, I, I used to spend a lot of time, um, I was that typical comic where I would wake up in the middle of the night and write stuff. And my, my poor wife, non-stop, endless. Is this funny? 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 Um, and I've, I've done that thing. I've just sat at a desk for two, three hours, just writing out and putting words. Uh, but most of my stuff, I'll just be talking to somebody and I'll say something and... Um, it, something good will come out. I, I remember probably one of my my favourite bits of material too is that the uh, thing about uh, getting into a fight with a mime act, and uh, that was it was just I don't know where it came from. I was talking to Mick Ferry, who mm. I absolutely adore, mm. and he said uh, to somebody, "Did you see that film with all the mime acts fighting?" And something clicked, and about five minutes later, I went and did that routine on stage, pretty much word for word as I do it now. It just it came out. It was, must have been some kind of godlike experience. Inside <laughs> me. It wasn't me. It was, it was just divine inspiration, I'm sure. So do you have a particular way of, um, like if you make a note of something, do you have like a, a way of trying to find the funniest way to do an idea? Like how do you, how do you edit as you go along? If, if, if you're mostly using stuff that's occurred to you, yeah. what, are your, what are your kind of processes for refining it? Um... In that respect, I, I t- if I get something, I tend to use it as it is, and there, there, there's very few times when I'll, I'll go over and over and change, and it just seems to work ninety percent of the time. Uh, there are sometimes, uh, there have been times when I've, I've got a story which I knew was funny, um, but just couldn't get there to the end, and sometimes it takes me years, and then I go, hold on, that's how that needs to end. Um, so I do get that a lot. And I've got, I'm one of these comics, I don't know if you're the same. I've got dozens of notebooks all filled with ideas and jokes. And my biggest failure is I never look through any of them. <laughs> I just write yeah. and I never read back. Yeah. So now and again, I'll, 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 I will every six months look back through and, and see some 90% of it is crap. And it'll be one line and it'll make me laugh really loud. And it'll be, I saw something yesterday on a slip of paper and it really made me laugh. And um, so I'll, I'll try and work that in somewhere. Can you, can, you tell us, can you tell us what that is, just for the purposes of analysis? Well, it might, it might be awful. I, I've got a couple of lines that I've always thought were really funny that never, ever worked. Um, yeah, but no, I won't spoil it. But, okay, go on, sorry, you got to you. But one line I, I loved performing and it never got a laugh and it was, uh, it got a laugh once from Ian Stone from behind the curtain. <laughs> I love those laughs. Another comic backstage <laughs> laughing just, at, I just, love that. It was just Ian really, really laughing and the whole audience, just nothing at all. What was that and line? Can you tell it's me? quite a niche joke and, and the joke was, um, I don't know if you've got any cabaret singers in here this evening, but if you have, I'd like to do a joke for you now. And it goes something like this. Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> because they were uh, all taking it at face value and expecting a joke. Yeah, perhaps. Or, or again, it's, it's just a little Mickey take I, out of cabaret singers, isn't it? I absolutely should incorporate 
this question into future interviews because I love that idea of like all comics have got stuff that they can't make work. Yeah, I love it's like an idea that you're dancing around. Yeah. You're like I've been I've been thinking of this for ten years and I can't make it work. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I've still got uh, uh, my opening gag. Actually, that was on a table for probably five or six years about me getting embarrassed playing badminton. And um, oh, remind me of the bit. I I can't remember that bit. Oh, it's quite rude and explicit, but it's, uh, yeah, it's uh, basically getting an erection while playing badminton and it being the most awkward situation. And it's actually a true story. <laughs> yes. I'm so pleased to hear that. Yes. <laughs> and I thought, this is really funny, um, but how do I make it funny? Because it's inherently funny, the situation, but getting it into some kind of format. So what, of, was, what kind of versions did you try? No, I didn't try any. I just looked and went, no, that's no good. That won't work. That won't work. That I'm just okay. trying to come. And then just one day, and it was just a silly thing about what the way water goes around plug holes. That's all it was. It was just weird. Um, and it's really funny because your body language right now suggests that you are embarrassed about the idea of the explicitness of it. Oh, because yeah. Because you're yeah. in offstage mode. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think that's really fascinating, the difference between... Uh, the the real you and the performative you. Mm. I'm I just want to come back to this idea you mentioned before of part, some of it is stuff that you wish you could say if you were different. Yeah, yeah, perhaps it's a it's a sort of thing I I hear um, people say and I really laugh and I just think oh I'd never I'd never be brave enough to say that. Partly sometimes it's because it's just a wrong thing to say or just uh, yeah uh, bad bad human behaviour or whatever and it just makes me laugh and uh, yeah so I remember seeing you at um, uh, Bestival oh. the, the festival, <laughs> oh, festival. There. oh man did you enjoy that uh, if, if, I'm, if this is all about truth go on I, I don't enjoy uh, festivals I, I, I feel um, yeah very it's, it's, I feel like uh, the, the, uh, an outsider really and, and I do the festival is a wonderful wonderful thing and Brett Vincent I absolutely adore and he, he, he's asked me for years over the years to do every year and I have done uh, for free tickets for my kids yeah <laughs> put yourself through it you're a hero <laughs> but, but my uh, my my, uh, my time on stage at festival is um, I, I find it apparently it goes down really well but inside, I'm, I'm dying, it's, especially on the Isle of Wight, you know, because, again, it's it's people that might know me and come and see. It's that thing about performing in front of people that know you. Never shit on your own doorstep. <laughs> <laughs> that must be difficult for the sort of act that you're describing, the sort of relationship to the, you know, not to the truth, but like yeah. the things you say, like w- saying wicked things on stage. Mm. Yeah, if someone knows you. Like, do you worry what? That they might think that's the real you? Oh, yeah, perhaps. I mean, I remember doing a gig, actually my first sort of bona fide gig on the Isle of Wight, and I'd put it off for years and years and years. And then eventually I thought, oh, oh yeah, somebody had pulled out at the last minute. There's a key art centre, and I got a phone call. Um, could you do this? Uh, actually, if I remember rightly, I'd asked if I could do an open spot to try some material out. Okay. And they said, would you do the gig instead and you can try out new stuff? And I, I said, oh, no, not really. Uh, anyway, I was persuaded and I did it. And of course, I didn't try out new stuff because I, was, I just wanted to do the best I could. Um, and I thought nothing of it until a, a week before 
and I, it it never occurred to me that it would be advertised in the local newspaper and and promoted, and so all of a sudden, just doing this little gig on the Isle of Wight, I'm getting phone calls and texts. I didn't know you were a comedian. And, oh no! You it, don't tell you don't tell your mates. No, that you're a not for years. People didn't know. <laughs> not for years. And the school teachers were there. My kids' school teachers, and yeah, and and I, I just remember thinking, oh my god, they're going to think what an awful man. You know, when they see me perform, but I, I do what I do, and I, I, I want to. How did the gig go? Really good. It was a really good gig, and everyone was, yeah, very happy. And yeah, it was a, a really good gig. And presumably, no one got in touch to say you're an awful man. Like, no, they, no, they, they didn't. Get it, right? No, there's, you just got all these fears, haven't you? And uh, and everyone was lovely. And next thing you know, yeah, every. I haven't had any negativity uh, towards. Uh, my comedy or, or making people laugh I, I, not that I'm aware of I think everybody seems to be um, okay with it especially my kids friends which are the most important oh right uh, not, not being uh, your dad's a shit comic is very important to me and and, uh, and, and luckily uh, my kids friends seem to think it's funny now they're older you remind me a little bit of like a hermit crab like you're very yeah. happy to be like you're probably one of the most socially introverted comics I've met do you know what okay. I mean? You're very happy to be quiet. You're very happy yep. in your own space. In a way that's actually, it's quite an attractive quality when you've met as many comedians as we all have. You know, I'm blessed. <laughs> like if I, if I was, you know, you're one of those names, I'm sure that if people go, oh, can you give Andy Askins a lift? People go like, oh yeah, fine. Do you know what I mean? Like that yeah, that yeah. isn't going to be a hellish self-involved, yeah. you know, um, car journey. And then he danced across the forecourt. <laughs> all the way across <laughs> the forecourt. So we left him. Um, do you believe in yourself as a comic? Do you have self-confidence? Do you have self-belief? Um, not, not particularly. I'm not, I'm not a person that sort of like arrives at a, a, a place and goes, oh, um, this is going to be great. Wait till I get a load of me. Not at all. I've never been like that. Every gig, I always think, there's a, I'm much better now just because I, I had some really good advice, um, from, I'll tell you what, it was, um, Tom Stade, who is, uh, he's like a, there's a couple of guys on the circuit that are more like life coaches yeah, when you right. speak to them. Than, yeah. And Tom's one of those guys. And I remember him saying to me, I was particularly nervous about a, a gig. And um, uh, Tom said, how many gigs have you done? I said, oh, you know, probably a thousand, two thousand, I have no idea, thousands. And he went, how many were bad? And I went, oh, probably not that many, a dozen, I don't know, a couple, not many. And he, and he said, well, what makes you think that this gig is going to go any different? And I thought, that it's yeah, just reframe it. And, uh, yeah, that, so I've never been, um, yeah, particularly confident. Uh, not about this. In some aspects, I'm confident, but not uh, on stage in comedy and that kind of thing, yeah. Because there's, there's a certain way, isn't there, in which the comedy industry rewards those who stand up and shout about themselves. I don't know about that, Um I think uh, there's a lot to... It's a business, isn't it, comedy? And you uh, people that can market themselves, that's going to be an advantage. Uh, and I suppose confidence is something that people want to see, isn't it? If you, if you uh, want somebody to go and front a TV show for you, you don't want somebody in a dressing room having a panic attack. You want somebody who's the thinks they're a god. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. So is, I, I think that's the, the point I was trying to make, which is that, yeah, sorry. you know, if, <laughs> you know it, it, I, th- I, th- I think I do think comedy rewards those who have that kind of self-confidence and they yeah, put yeah, themselves perhaps. forward for things, yeah. they, you know, in a way that may, like, do you think, 
your career would be different if you were a bit more like you know what i mean if you didn't need yeah, your wife and to bully I, you into doing yes. potential opportunities for self-promotion if i yeah if I, yeah perhaps um uh, I I, it's a difficult question to ask because i'm not suggesting that yeah. your career is in any way oh, <laughs> do you know what i mean i think you're no, an excellent comic you're I, clearly doing very well I, yeah 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 i, I, I feel I've probably overachieved really. I've, I've really enjoyed uh, what I've got out of comedy and uh, the experiences I've had, definitely. I've always thought of that side of it as something perhaps like a moth to a flame, really. I, I, I think um, I'm very happy um, with my life and um, I'm not sure if I could cope with all that kind of stuff, to be honest with you. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm really, yeah... I, I think all I have seen uh, people uh, doing really well and, and, and their lives really change. Uh, you see people, uh, sometimes in a good way, but I, I've seen some people that are really, really famous and they get stopped every two minutes for just a kind word or a chat or an autograph. And I think that, that to me that would be living hell. And uh, uh, yeah, so th- those guys that earn, earn the big books and the fame and that, I mean... Some people uh, handle it better than others and stuff, but I, I, I'm very happy being the grey man. I really am, yeah. <laughs> That's an unusual set of parameters for what constitutes success is I need to be able to enjoy myself and feed my family without getting so successful that I get have to speak to people. It's quite, it's, it's quite sad, isn't it? <laughs> no, it no, not sad. at all. God, I mean, it's the amount of comics who I've interviewed, we're nearing 200 comics have been on this show. Oh, wow. And... Um, so few of them have been able to sit there and say, well, the thing is, I'm really happy. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> you are winning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's the way I think of it anyway. You know, at, at the moment I'm winning. So, yeah, I, I'm happy. I'm, there might be a time when I'm, I'm uh, on my deathbed thinking, you fool. But it's not not as if I've got the tools to do it any other way. Any, I am who I am. And, you know, so that's it. Have you always been happy? Are you happy? Is it is it that you've had good things happen in your life, or is it do you have a base level of? Yeah, I've always uh, tried to be happy and uh, yeah, and look for the best in people really whenever I could, and uh, I've always tried to make other people happy. Is there a secret to being happy? I think realizing how lucky you are. I think putting things into perspective, you know. Um, yeah, it's a tough old world, isn't it? And and just just being. Uh, I've read that Bill Bryson book, only the first chapter, because it's the sort of person I am. Uh, and it was about that we're all just carbon and we'll we'll die and we'll be just be just and we'll go and make something else. And I think, you know, so try and be happy. You're only here a short time and you can either make people happy and, and try and be happy yourself or you can go around trying to mess people about and be horrible. And uh, yeah, I know which I prefer. That's lovely. It's really lovely to hear. I noticed one of the things on your website was the armed forces gigs. Yeah. Does that require a certain different approach to regular gigs or do you just play them exactly as you would play here tonight? Um, pretty much. Uh, of course, the materials, uh, you write material specific to that kind of environment because uh, it's it. Got any couples in? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um no, basically they found me. It wasn't the other way around. So um, it turns out my humour is quite... It's a, a military... That's how it's described, a military-like humour. And it's the same sort of humour you would find shared in the dressing rooms of a, a fire station or people that work for the ambulance or nurses. 
it's a dark humour that enables people to cope, it seems, with uh, bad situations. And it seems that's the humour I've got. And uh, it works really well in that environment. And uh, it was something they asked me to try. And to be honest, when I was first asked to do a military gig, there were lots of people being asked. And most of them, 95%, didn't want to do it. And the only reason, truthfully, I did it was I'd just been taken on uh, by management and they set me up with the opportunity. And I thought, you will look like an idiot if you don't even try this. And uh, even though it looks quite, might be quite tough. And so I tried it and it was absolutely wonderful. And I I really found um, a place I could be comfortable and people I could be comfortable with. I loved uh, the military and still do, yeah. Were you one of the people who got awarded a, like, was there sort of a medal or something? Yeah, yeah, I was very lucky, yeah. It was a bit embarrassing, but, um, um, yeah, we did a lot of um, uh, gigs out there. And basically, uh, you, if you do a certain number of days in a, a hostile environment, you're eligible for a medal. And it doesn't matter whether you're a clerk or whether you're a paratrooper or a civilian working in the, the NAFI if you're in that environment, you're eligible for a medal. Now, most of the guys are at the cutting edge and, and at the, the pointy bit. And um, we were doing gigs, and, and we we were doing gigs in qu- some quite hostile areas. So we did see some horrible things and and have some uh, quite scary experiences. And at the end of it all, uh, I got a phone call. Never even even thought about it, saying, "Are oh, you?" qualify for a certain number of days and uh, we'd like to present you with a medal and um, it's a bit weird but then when I spoke to uh, the people that were in charge they said oh no no it's a it's it's a it's a really big deal and I thought it'd be very disrespectful actually for me to say oh, I don't think I um I should have this medal and so uh, yeah I went along a lovely ceremony with my wife and it, it was really good and it was a, a huge honor because he actually gave us um, a campaign medal, which is the because there's a civilian medal and there's a, a military medal, and uh, we, we, I don't know if we were the first people to be given the military medal that was civilians. I'm not sure, but that was uh, because of the places we were doing gigs, which okay. was a huge honour. And uh, that's amazing. Uh, yeah. When you when you talk about the the sort of hostile environment, and you know, I don't want to sort of pry mm. into horrible things that you see, yeah, but. Um, I wonder whether an in, like an environment in which your life might be endangered. I wonder uh, which Andy is sort of at the forefront there because part of me thinks, "Well, you're a family man. You love your family. You want to be home with yeah. your family." And then part of me sort of also now thinking, "You blanked being a scuba diver." <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Is that the, there's a certain is there a sense that it's it's exciting for you? Oh, oh without a doubt, you know. Um, I never really when I was asked to go to some of the. Um, uh, uh, sharp bits. I, I couldn't wait. Honestly, I couldn't. Really? But yeah, but my, my what sort um, of pla- can you say? What sort of places? Yeah, yeah. Right. B- basically, there were forward. Iraq was pretty hairy. Um, can you define pretty hairy? Yeah. Um, I never really felt in 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 that much danger in in all the times out there. But it, w- 
we were in danger. I remember once we got stopped on a road move and it was the one and only time we did a road move. And the military do this stuff all day, every day. You know, it, it, it's, it, and we did it just the once. And on the way to the uh, gig, uh, we had a tank in front and all this, that and the other. And we had to stop and we stopped. And I didn't know why, but they made a perimeter around us. We were in open ground. And I thought, oh, something's going to kick off here and perhaps we're going to get attacked from, I don't know. And... Um, there was just something wrong with a certain piece of kit on the vehicle and it was uh, dangerous to move forward without that bit of kit working. So they fixed it. We went on our way and then we arrived at the destination and we found out uh, later on that day uh, that an IED had gone off the road we'd gone over and it was probably the bit of kit that had fixed and stopped it from going off and it exploded later on. Uh, in the day between two vehicles so nobody was killed but I thought oh god that's you know that was close you didn't even know you know and uh, yeah there's some shooty bits as well and yeah. shooty bits shooty bits yeah yeah and it, it's nothing honestly and it, it, nothing really you're not charging the enemy or anything like that or running were, from were cover you shot cover. at or the um, vehicles you were in shot yeah there was again it didn't seem that dangerous you just told to do stuff and you do it but one time apparently I'm not sure we, our aircraft was under attack the, the airfield a mortar attack uh, and so we our aircraft comes shuddering to a halt halfway along the runway we all had to run off and yeah things like that and uh, lying down waiting for rockets to land you, but you, they're indiscriminate so you don't know where they're going to land so you just laid there you know looking at each other going <laughs> Yeah, With a, I mean, I'm just for the benefit of the listener, there was an actual smile on your face there. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not. I'm not brave. I'm just stupid. But I never felt in any particular danger. And, and I, I heard some horrific stories, and I met some people that had been through some really dreadful experiences. You know, absolutely shocking. And uh, I'll never forget the age of these guys as well, especially in the beginning of the uh, campaign. How young they were and how brave they were, and they were doing things you shouldn't expect anybody to do really. And they were doing it with a smile on the face and saying things like, I couldn't do what you do. Yeah. And they were running in caves with grenades and take, actually running in caves to take on enemies and stuff like 19 year old paratroop. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And uh, yeah, so it's very humbling and sobering. And yet what we were talking about was there is, you're attracted to that kind of. I did, I did like it. And it, 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 it sometimes I, uh, there's no doubt about it. I really enjoyed every moment of it, the people I met. And yeah, I do like a bit of um, all that kind of macho stuff now and again. Yeah, I think it's sleeping out. And yeah, I do like that kind of thing. Yeah, Sleeping so. out? Yeah, like overnight stays around friends' houses and stuff. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, do, I do like the, that military environment. It's very good. Yeah, it's good. So you're, I'm sort of amazed that you've never been recruited for MI5, given your, given the kind of grey man ability to disappear in a crowd. Yeah, it's, and not, the, it's not something I'd really want to comment on. Yeah. <laughs> now, knowing you, the little that I do, I'm really happy to let that sit there because we'd all love to believe that were the case and I'm yeah. very happy if you're not to comment. As long as it's not high. Yeah, right. Okay. Well, that might put you out of something. Um, did you do Edinburgh this year? I did, yeah. Was that your first time? It was, yeah. Tell us about that. Oh, it was really good. It was uh, something um, people have always said, oh, you must do Edinburgh. You try it at least once. And it's something I'd, I'd never particularly wanted to do. I didn't think I was the sort of comic that would do well up there or enjoy it. 
and it's very expensive uh, thing to do as well. I just want to I just want to stop you there and look at that thing. You didn't think you were the sort of comic who would do well up there. What what preconception is that exactly? What sort yeah, of comic do you think does well? Up there? I always when I first started doing comedy, I didn't really know anybody or know anything about the this uh, the circuit or anything, and I, I, I did feel a bit uncomfortable, like an outsider, really, that had come to the game really late and uh, wasn't sure how people viewed me or my humour. You know, so there's a little bit of snobbery about here and there, not not a lot of it, and, uh, you know, I listen to that kind of thing and think, oh, do you know what, I'm, I'm quite happy not doing all that stuff. And, uh, and especially when the kids were younger, it's so expensive. It, the attraction of of going to Edinburgh and uh, and or taking the kids on a nice holiday. There was always going to be one winner. I mean, there's lots of work around in August. So, um, but the kids are older now, and I'm older. And uh, yeah, I've done some really nice things in the last couple of years. I thought, right, try Edinburgh. Why? Why not? What? What? And I took my family, which was amazing. All my kids went. My wife went. We had a. We took the dog. And uh, it was as lovely an experience as I think I could have had, yeah. And where, 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 what room were you in? What time were you? What was the sort of infrastructure of it? I was in the counting house in the ballroom, which was... So the Gilded Balloon? Yes. So free entry or it, they can book yeah, for a was, fiver, is that yeah, right? Yeah, that, that, was, that was right. And it was a big room for me. I had no idea. So naive. I didn't ask enough. I asked plenty of questions. But again, I had no idea what Edinburgh was about. And uh, it was a big room. And yeah, I did all right. I... Probably averaged about 30 people a night and then the weekends, maybe it's 100, 110, 20, something. So. Had you written a show specifically for Edinburgh or was it no, best of? It was it was best of. Whenever I uh, spoke to people, and I've been pondering it for years. It's all, should I, should I, should I, should I? One year I really wanted to do it um, and I couldn't get a room. And, and this year I was touching good. It, it was uh, last minute and... Uh, I just thought, if I don't do it now, I won't do it next year. I'll never do it. And I wanted to try it once. But people have always said, your first year, do your greatest hits. And I thought, if I'm going to give myself the best opportunity to make people laugh, I've got lots of funny stuff. And uh, see how it goes. And it went well. I really enjoyed it. And the audiences were good. Far lovelier than he imagined. Again, that demon in your head. Before you go on stage saying, oh, they're not going to enjoy it or, you know, you're going to get found out or whatever. And uh, it was very much the same in Edinburgh. The first few nights I thought I can, can't play to 12 people, Twelve feel re- ridiculously naked in front of 12 people as opposed to 1,200 or 400. And, uh, yeah, it was just ill-conceived nonsense on, on my part, really. They, they were absolutely lovely. Yeah. I think there is a certain slice of the circuit who gigs, you know, headliners, circuit headliners who've been going a good while who don't buy into the Edinburgh system. And I'm wondering whether that's a similar sort of reasoning. There's someone in particular I've got in mind, I won't say their name, but I'm I'm trying to convince them to go to Edinburgh at the moment. And they're a little bit like, oh, what have I got? I can't do, you know. And there's some sort of, I'm like, you're insane. It's just a gig every day for a month. It's a fun gig. Yeah, it, it it was good. Um, like it, just the experience. I, I love the whole atmosphere, and there was a real camaraderie about it, mm-hmm. which um, I wasn't sure was going to be there or not. But even down to like chatting to the people that were flying every day, it was just a, the whole thing was lovely. And the people that were running the venue, 
Couldn't have been more accommodating, more lovely. The sound, everything was just nice. It was. Will you go again? I'm thinking about it. Um, and presumably now you've done your best of hour. If yeah, you go no, again. That's a very different proposition. Yeah, right. A slightly different. Yeah, not ridiculously hard. I mean, that's uh, that's my greatest hits, and I didn't exactly. Um, I, I had a good time, and everybody laughed. And uh, um, writing a whole new hour in in six months or a year, I, I don't know. It'd have to be something different. It'd have to. I'd, I'd have to uh, do something slightly different. Um, and I am thinking about it. I'm thinking of reasons why I should and reasons not to go as well. So it's up in the air at the moment. Are there people mm. pushing you? Are there like either management or mm. Julie? Mm. Are there, is there kind of like a... Like, as I noticed you did the John Bishop show fairly yeah. recently. Was that this year or last yeah, year? Yeah, I, I did that um, last summer. And again, that was um, just completely out of the blue. It was, uh, I actually found out about it. Uh, I was around a friend's house and I said, uh, oh, there's a new TV show. Cause I'd come close to doing the, uh, McIntyre show. Um, I was in the shortlist and never quite made it or whatever. And, uh, which I would have loved to have done. And then, um, I've never really had much of a sniff at a TV. Uh, and then, uh, I heard there was going to be a show on and it was, uh, uh, they'd be quite happy to put on comics that were on the circuit that were older and uh, basically I auditioned for it I think everybody auditioned for it loads and loads of auditions and I got the last slot and it went really well and I just loved every second of it so what was that experience like of as you say that having not had a sniff of telly for a long time did it feel different to be doing a proper televised big live show well, I was I was in a little bit of shock, really, because it was a prime time thing, and it was a huge production value, and I just it was out of the blue, and um, all of a sudden you wonder what it would be like to do a show like that, and all of a sudden it's there, and you have got the demons again, and you know you think about all the other comics that could have done it, and and it and it was great, and I loved it, and uh, I, I did a couple of things after that, and I I really embraced it. I didn't worry about how it was going to go. And I just thought this is going to be a special moment in your life and really enjoy it. And John Bishop, the man's a God. He couldn't be, if there's a lovelier man uh, that high up, I, d- I don't know. Yes. He was fabulous. Yeah. So. And just to, just to wrap up then, because we must, people are beating down the door very gently and quietly. Um, when you mentioned like the, the demons are there, Given how happy you are and how satisfied, how you're kind of like, you're a lovely combination of kind of happy and humble and you're sort of successful within your own, you know, to your, to your own definition of success. Yes. Yeah. So what are the demons that you get? What are the, are there any negative moments? Do you have those moments of going, I can't write another joke. I'm run out. You know, do you get blocked? Um, What what are the demons for you? Not, not really. My, my, uh, it, it's funny. I, I, I sort of like live in the moment, and in my life, it, it's it's split between uh, traveling and doing stand up and going home. And when I go home, that's all I think about going home. I, I'll think about jokes and I'll, I'll write jokes, but I'm in my element there. I, I, that's where I want to be. And then when I'm on the road, I live in the moment. I, I don't try to worry about. Th- I worry about going on stage and and dying on my ass. That's what I worry about. And and. Probably that's all I worry about, whether or not I'll be able to provide uh, for my family. Those two worries, everything else, not a problem with anything at all. Yeah. And finally then, do you 
have a plan for stopping ever? Or is the plan to gig until you die? Um, it's, 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 is that a difficult question? We can cut this if that's a difficult question to not answer. Not really. No one wants to go, oh yeah, I'm going to retire. <laughs> you know, that's fine. I, I don't think I, I, I would be. If I could retire, I probably would retire. Um, it's not something that I think I, I've got. I must do this. Not at all. But um, I really enjoy performing. If I probably will gig until I die. Who knows? It could be tomorrow, couldn't it? <laughs> what a lovely man what a lovely lovely what an absolute pleasure to spend some time with andy and what an incredible life and what a what a happy man <laughs> what a happy man what's the secret of happiness andy well apparently it's working hard doing things you enjoy taking risks being grateful, being humble, loving your family. I mean, it's its not rocket science, is it? You just be as nice as Andy Askins, and that's how you get happy. So I think we've all learned something from there. And um, honestly, he's so, so funny. You must... I think sometimes when there's not a huge amount of Andy available online, there's a couple of... I think there's one or two clips of him uh, at the Comedy Store. Get to see him. If you're in London, check the Comedy Store listings and get down there when Andy's on. I think of that... I know it's not where he's from, but I think of that as his home turf. I suppose that's the venue I've seen him most often. He talks so humbly about his ability that you could be forgiven for listening to this and going, oh yeah, well, he seems average. Oh my God, he is just brilliant. And that thing about the amount of material he has that sometimes, not the amount, not, not that it's, you know, <laughs> more than 20%, but the simple fact of having tags that audiences sometimes don't notice or like the bulk of audiences don't notice because they're so subtle. And then you're one of the people that notices them and you're just like, this is delightful. I'm sure there'll be a lot of comedians listening to this thinking, yes, absolutely, that's exactly the skill of Andy Askins is barnstorming set and loads of stuff there that you've you've got to be listening out for that just is hundreds of cherries on lots and lots of cakes thank you Andy and thank you Andy's missus very much appreciated for bullying him onto the show sorry about that I hope it wasn't too painful that is all I'll chat to you briefly in a waffly kind of way in a sec um but for now Provided you've got your tickets sorted, uh, you're going to turn up for free at Redacted on the 15th of uh, December. Provided you're going to come and see John and Ellis at Soho Theatre on the 23rd of January using the discount code VERA and indeed using that code to go to comedianscomedian.com forward slash tour and work out where you're going to come and see me in the spring, having listened to all this wonderful praise from the Southeast Asian tour and thought, yeah, uh, maybe I'll get round to Goldsmith. If you like, you can leave now. If you want to hang around... Uh, I will tell you a couple of things in the waffle, but for now, that concludes the podcast. So, I was wrong about the election, but in my defence, everyone was wrong about the election. If you remember last episode, uh, the Carmen Lynch episode, I pre-recorded before going away to uh, Japan, and uh, I sort of, as did we all, I assumed it was all going to be okay. And now we're in a position where a sort of terrifying untrustworthy madman runs America and uh, madman is is not provable and offensive to those with mental health issues but he's terrifying and untrustworthy his word is worthless isn't it he doesn't mean anything he says but he does loads of stuff that he means and he's already started peopling the White House with equally terrifying right-wing and alt-right 
uber-nationalist people, and it's enough to make me wonder whether the world is getting better. I feel like I've had a baby at the wrong time, I'll tell you that much. God, much as I love him, what a terrifying... You'll all be over this now, because uh, it's been a couple of weeks, but um, I just haven't had the chance to vent about this, and, you know, I always could fall back mentally on the idea that things were gradually getting better. And I've argued with friends about, like, you know, in a sort of global civilization way, I've argued with friends about this. They say that's an incredibly privileged thing to think because I happen to have a a comfortable life. To think that the world is getting better is outrageous because there are still horrific things happening on, you know, in even at home domestically, there's awful poverty, of course, and food banks and all of this terrible stuff that's happening post-austerity, terrible decisions have been made, housing markets collapsing, you know, the environmentally, that's like a global awful thing. Plus you've got people, you know, in Thailand who have effectively slave labour getting, you know, in order to get the nation's prawns. You know what I mean? <laughs> this is sounding bewildering and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be, remain aware of the gravitas of the awful things that are happening in the world whilst also have a sufficiently light tone that this doesn't become all doom and gloom. So apologies to uh, anyone offended by the loose, the loose handling of uh, slavery in the prawn industry. But that's a real thing. And, you know, North Korea, the fact of North Korea, that's awful. Look, I, obviously there's a lot of awful things in the world. My point is that I would always take the argumentative position that, yes, stuff is terrible, but it's getting better because 500 years ago, we'd all just be walking around killing each other. Do you know what I mean? Or a thousand years ago, it would just be the rule of warlords, and not necessarily in London, (laughs) but do you know what I mean? It's like we are gradually becoming more civilised, and yes, there is a price that we all pay for that. There's a price that the world pays. As the world becomes more civilised, people are exploited, but if you think back to pre-civilization, where it was just club someone over the head and take their stuff, things are better now overall. That was the position I would take. And now I feel like I don't know if I can say that that's the position overall. I think the combination of the apparent swing in the West towards the right and not just, I don't, you know, I'm not having to go if you voted Tory or if you're American and you voted for Trump, but the very frightening swing towards um, isolationism and towards protectionism and I haven't done the reading, but let's face it, neither of you. (laughs) And it just seems to me that the world is a little bit of a colder place now. And I am terrified to have to imagine the spectre of war. Ultimately, that's what it boils down to. That's what my, I mean, for all that people burble about unelected bureaucrats in Brussels, the whole point of the EU, as far as I could see, was that it stopped us all going to war. It greatly reduced the chances of war breaking out within Europe. We weren't war-proof, and yes, there were international wars rather than domestic ones, and even in some places in the EU. But... The point was, let's trade rather than fight, right, guys? You want to be in charge of your country, yes, and your destiny and your country's freedom and self-determination. And yes, you need to give up a little bit of control if you want to work with people rather than just be isolated from them. 
And I know that upsets a lot of people, the idea of giving up control. But the point is, ultimately, it's not so much hooray for trade, it's trade instead of war. And I feel like we might have a warmonger in the White House, or at least someone who is, who, oh my God, look, it's not all doom and gloom. The point I'm trying to make is I thought the world was getting better, and now I feel like maybe the world isn't getting better. Maybe there is. Maybe there is. And, you know, obviously I'm approaching this now. I've got a tiny nine-month-old horse in the race. So I was wrong about that, and... um We'll move on, but I was wrong. So I, um, you know, what do we do about it? What do we do about it? Well, I don't have a vote in America, certainly. Um, but, I mean, all I can hope, all I, is this wrong? Tell me if this is wrong. All I can hope is that he'll stuff it up so badly that four years from now, the Democrats will get back in for 20 years. <laughs> is that likely? Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe that's not so likely. It's just scary. I'm just saying that it's scary. Um, of course, I haven't got any solutions but it's pretty scary, isn't it, guys? Holy shit. Um, let's talk about something nicer. Um, and this is very brief because there's a little squealing boy downstairs. I must go and help look after. But in happier times and happier thoughts, let me tell you about the equation that I've worked out. And then let me depress you all again. <laughs> the equation that I've worked out. And forgive me if I've mentioned this before. This is this is my job. This is my this is stew career maths. Um, you do you do some you do the math, or as we say in the UK, you do some maths. Um, what I need to do is continue growing the audience of this podcast and making it interesting for people to listen to, and then I need to continue convincing everyone that listens to the podcast to uh, come and try seeing me live, and then I need to be good enough live that all of those people decide to come and see me again, and that's the plan. That's the equation. That, and I tell you what, having a mission statement makes such a difference rather than the far more nebulous mission statement of be good at stand-up comedy, which is kind of, which was the sort of mission after, there's the initial mission, which is be a comedian. And then there's the secondary mission, or not secondary, but there's the next goal, which is become paid. And then the next one is become paid only for stand-up comedy, e.g. become full-time. And then it's a little bit like, right, what happens next apart from just more of this? And to have the mission of, like, become a touring comic and grow and cultivate the audience and have the means by which to do it, that's very satisfying. That's very satisfying. Now, here's the question. To what extent can one be selfish about the pursuit of one's career goals in a world that is going to hell in a handbasket. Because, I mean, has the world always been going to hell in a handbasket? I sort of felt like it usually was, only now we have not only the possible spectre of war, but also the environment to worry about in that kind of a, oh yeah, Trump's going to pull out of Paris, he's going to pull out of all of the agreements that are intended to, uh, uh, to you know, all of, all of the scientists who said, right, I mean, this is, like, it's coming up uh, midday on Wednesday, unless we immediately reverse everything we're doing at that point, then it's irrevocable, it's unrepairable. And, uh, and now we've got someone at the helm who thinks that it's a hoax. And um, not our helm, but one of the main helms. So, can you... What's the what's the fucking point? Do you know what I mean? Like, you've got all of your little micro-plans. Oh, this is going. I'm on top of it. Got a kid. Career seems to have, like... You know, seems to have uh, consolidated somehow. Yeah, this is... this. It's all going to be okay. And then you just look at the, the world and go, 
oh, this is really far from okay. Maybe part of why it's far from okay is because everyone's just looking after their own little bit of it. I mean, is there is there a credible alternative to just trying to work on your own shit? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I remember being so worried about this as, a, as an adolescent, thinking, you know, what have I? What can I offer the world? What can I offer the world? How can I help? How can I fix anything? How can I do anything more than simply be all right, Jack? You know, because you've got, we've each got a responsibility, haven't we, to our families, to ourselves, try and work hard, try and make a local difference. And ultimately, it just, it's easy to feel so small and to feel so reduced by global events that uh, that just sort of remind us that all crazy shit is happening that we don't seem to have any stake in any any say in a huge stake but no say this is more than usually rambling is it it's probably not it's actually probably less than usually rambling and more than usually upsetting so um this is uh, this waffle is if you're new to this it's normally cheerier but it's just kind of a place for me to vent whatever's on my mind and uh, what's on my mind is, oh, just when everything was coming together, everything seems to be falling apart. But was it Aaron Sorkin wrote that letter to his daughters, which was on the on the eve of Trump's election, on the more, the dawn of Trump's election? And I really think you should seek that out. That's good. That's a good way of turning despair into anger. Uh, he's a very, very good writer. You know, I mean, I know that some of you will have voted to leave the EU, and I understand that. I'm assuming anyone listening to this has got good reasons for doing that. And I think part of the issue is that we need to stop writing each other off as idiots. You know, it would be awful if the UK... Well, I mean, it's too late now, isn't it? The UK has already become as polarised as the uh, the American uh, election system, you know, that kind of red-blue thing. That's happened to us regarding Brexit. Sorry, a very funny tweet, which I'm, I'm afraid I can't remember, that I can't credit it properly. But um, apparently Brexit is entering the uh, the English dictionary, and if the, so the tweet was along the lines of if they had any balls, they would go Brexit, noun, meaning Brexit. <laughs> um, you know, oh, God, what do you know? <laughs> you know, I think that normally the point at which, <laughs> which in this section of the show that I start saying, you know, it means I've run out of steam. But I think we have to stop writing each other off as idiots. And uh, we have got to... We've got to think of something. Answers on a postcard, please. <laughs> I mean, you can always email me, but let's let's keep this public for now. And let's have one thread. Um, every time anyone goes to the, the ComCom Facebook group and starts individually posting different things, what I should have done was, hey, this is the new guest suggestion post. I should have done that, and I, I will do that. But uh, we've got to keep it organised. I will do a post on the Facebook group for how do you uh, stay happy when the world is going to hell? Is there a solution? Um, let's talk about that. Let's do it as a community. But I tell you what, just when you think the world is falling to bits, then you see a man who's clearly in his 30s on a bike doing a wheelie down the street for ages. So I guess there's hope. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.